I want to speak to you this morning, and don't panic. I want to speak to you on the last sermon I will ever preach. The last sermon I will ever preach. Hebrews chapter number 11, and let's just read the first four verses as our text. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. You know, old-timers used to really take note and take stock in the last words of people. And you can buy books uh, of the last sayings of, of, of famous Christians and things. And it's kind of an interesting deal. And I've always kind of thought it was interesting to look at. Sometimes the last words are humorous. Union General John Sedgwick, his company was under fire from some rebel snipers, and he said, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. And they did. Comedian Stan Laurel, Laurel and Hardy, he said, I'd rather be skiing. Multimillionaire Richard B. Mellon, him and his brother for years had kind of played a game of tag back and forth, and his last words, he reached up and touched his brother and said, last tag. One of my favorites, and I tried to remember who said this, and I could not find it, but I remember reading this in a book years ago, and someone was laying there dying, and the doctor said, can you raise your arm? And the fellow looked up and said, high enough to hit you. And those were his last words. Some are inspiring. Revolutionary spy Nathan Hale, just before he was hung by the British, said, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Irish nationalist Erskine uh, Childers said to the firing squad, Take a step forward, lads. It will be easier that way. Some are sentimental. P.T. Barnum said to his wife, Nancy, I want you to know my last thoughts are of you. John Wayne's last words, he looked at his wife, Of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. Some are ironic. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died the same day on July 4th of all days. And as John Adams died, he said, Thomas Jefferson still survives. Not knowing that Thomas Jefferson died just a few hours prior, halfway across the country. Some last words reveal great Christian faith. Missionary Adoniram Judson, his last words were, I go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from school. I feel so strong in Christ. Puritan author Richard Baxter said, I have pain, but I have peace. I have peace. All these were spoken in the final moments of life before their voices were silenced. But the question I have are, are their voices silent? I refer you to the text this morning and it's a great passage here that we kind of begins in chapter 10, flows into chapter 11, but it's a great passage here on the subject of faith. The theme of Hebrews is better. That Christ is better than the angels. That He's better than Moses. And, and so on. And 
I think th- this passage is telling us why living by faith in God and faith in Christ is better. An example after example of that. In verse 1, we have the explanation of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Really not a, a definition, it's more of a description, but the faith is a foundation of our hope. Faith is the proof of the truth that we hold dear. In verse 2, we have God's high esteem for faith. For by it the elders obtained a good report. The writer of Hebrews, I think it was Paul, you can disagree on that, but whoever wrote it, looking back and saying, look at all these Old Testament heroes. It was through their faith that God looked down and honored them. It's the basis for this chapter. And faith is better and that assertion is proven time after time in these illustrations. In verse 3, we have the extent of faith. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith we believe God's account of creation in Genesis chapter 1, that He created this universe, all that we see, and the little phrase that's used, Latin phrases. Ex nihilo, I think is how you say that. Out of nothing. That out of nothing came everything. We were not there to witness it. We cannot recreate it in a laboratory setting. Yet all things came from somewhere. And our faith trusts in God's Word and says that in the words of John chapter 1, verse number 3, all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. Then in verse 4, we come to the individual expressions of faith. How do we know that these men and women of old were full of faith in God? How can we we go back and do a blood test to see how much faith they had? We can't do that, but we know they had faith because they put their faith into action. Abraham left his home, or the Chaldees, to seek a better country. Isaac blessed his two boys and in doing so foretold their futures. It was unexpected. Jacob blessed the the two sons of Joseph, which that was unexpected too and prophetic in that if you study that out. Joseph believed that his family, the Israelite nation, would not stay in Egypt. And he left directions for his body to be removed, to be taken to the promised land for burial, and so on and so on. These, these, these great examples of faith. But in verse 4 is our focus. It is the first example of faith that's listed, and it's the first that would happen chronologically. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. You find the story over in Genesis chapter 4 that God demanded a sacrifice of Cain and Abel. We don't know all the details. I wish we knew more uh, in those early chapters about how all this worked. But Cain and Abel are to, to bring a sacrifice to God. Abel was a shepherd. He offered a blood sacrifice, which was what God expected, I believe. Cain was a farmer. He offered her the fruits of his harvest. And God accepted the sacrifice of Abel, but rejected that of Cain. Instead of repenting of his sin, Cain instead sank even lower by murdering his brother Abel. 
when confronted, Cain claimed the famous passage, God comes down, asks about his brother, well, am I my brother's keeper? We still use that phrase today. Am I my brother's keeper? He says, you know, where is Abel? God says in, in, in chapter 4, verse number 10 of Genesis, God's words, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. That's where I think the basis for this, he being dead yet speaketh, come from. That his actions, his life was still speaking. And by the way, that was a testimony, a condemnation of Cain's actions. Abel offered a blood sacrifice as God expected. Cain shed not sacrificial blood, but innocent blood in murder, defying God even further. And that goes to prove which sacrifice was the one that was true, that showed true faith in God. In life and death, the testimony of Abel was that he had faith in God. He obeyed God's instructions in offering the proper sacrifice. He suffered as the first martyr of the faith. He being dead, yet speaketh. Now, I don't know what his last words on earth were. Perhaps he begged Cain to stop. Perhaps he rebuked Cain. said, Cain, don't do this. Cain, turn to God. Don't go this far. Perhaps he forgave him as Christ did when he was on the cross. And Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Perhaps he in that moment was given a measure of grace to do that. I would love to think so, but I, I don't know. I don't know what his final words were, but I do know that he being dead, yet speaketh. We have a saying today, actions speak louder than words. How do we know that Abel had faith? By his actions. His works is what James would say when he wrote the book of James. James 2.17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. How do we know we have faith? It's because that faith is exercised into works. We have not a single word recorded in the record of Scripture that, Cain, or that Abel spoke. We have records of what Cain said, but I don't see any that Abel spoke. Yet his actions speak volumes, and he being dead yet speaketh. Now, I teased you this morning with the sensational message, the title and all that. I would say I apologize, but at least got you. I could tell who read the bulletin this morning and saw that. <laughs> Let me explain. Sermons are strange things. It, it, it's it's kind of hard to explain if you if if you're you know, a missionary preacher, you kind of understand some of this. How sermons just it's it's strange where they come from. It, it's supernatural. Some come quickly, some come very slowly after hours <laughs> sitting there staring at books and the Bible and the computer. Some come unexpectedly, just a, a, a divine spark, and you know, that's the sermon I'm to speak. Some come from <clears throat> borrowing somebody else's sermon, and uh, we do that a little more than we, we care to admit, I think. But each week, I find myself, I, I study and I pray, and I ask God for the message that's needed for the hour. What, what, what do I need personally? What do the people of the church need? Sometimes, and it's fairly rare, especially for a Sunday morning service, I'll plan ahead. I'll know. The last three weeks, or three of the last four weeks, I had a little break there, uh, we, we did the life of Samuel. We talked about the, the different prayer principles from the life of Samuel. I kind of knew what the, 
couple of those weeks were when I didn't get finished in the first week. I knew, hey, this is going to be a two or three part series. Sometimes, usually around Christmas time, I like to do Christmas series. Uh, Wednesday nights, we usually do series, and uh, Sunday school, usually it's some kind of series, but it, it's kind of rare, just the way, I don't know, the way I work, I guess. I, I usually don't do a lot on Sunday morning of series. I have a little mental exercise that, that, that I do from time to time, and I try to imagine that I have been invited to go back and speak at, at my alma mater, to go back to my Bible college and be invited back and say, hey, speak to the people. Tell them, you know, give them something to help these Bible college students. And I'll think to myself, you know, what can I help these guys with that I've learned since I graduated? What can I get them a little further down the line? It took me a while to learn. It'll help them. I'll think, what truths would have helped me when I was in their shoes? What can I help them with that I had a hard time with? Now, it's unlikely it'll ever happen, but it's an interesting little deal that I'll, I'll do, uh, just kind of evaluate my personal growth, if nothing else. Sometimes I imagine what I would preach if I was invited to speak at a you know, big preacher's conference of some sort or Sometimes I imagine what I would preach in various situations. Uh, you know, if, if this kind of funeral, this kind of setting, what would I say? Um, if, if, if I were invited to speak you know, before governmental leaders, what would I say? Would I tear their hides off? Would I, you know, what would I try to do? Sometimes I imagine what would I preach if I knew it were the very last sermon I would ever deliver. What would I say in that situation? I'm certain that I would present the gospel to the best of my ability. I think that is a given in that situation. I think I would press it as never before for sinners to come to Christ. What other truths, whatever text would I feel so important? I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. If, if it were to be my last sermon, what would I preach other than getting the gospel in there? And Once again, I'll be clear. I'm not planning on this being my last sermon, okay? If you were looking forward to this being the last one, I apologize. I'm not planning on resigning, retiring. <laughs> That's funny. And uh, or taking a heavily promotion, none of that. I'm not planning on any of that. But I want to draw this all together, okay? So what are you talking about? Why have we kind of been all over the place? And I know this is not the standard kind of message. You didn't come in and get your four points, three or four points like I normally do. Let me draw this all together. What would my last sermon be? It wouldn't be a sermon I preach from the pulpit. I, I and I honestly, I don't think people will be listening to to recordings of me after I'm gone. I, I've got some tapes back there of preachers that have, have, are dead and gone. I, I don't listen to them very much. You can pull up on YouTube or get on the internet, and you can find dozens of record, hundreds, thousands of recordings of preachers from yesteryear that people still go back. People still read the sermons of, of Charles Spurgeon or even further back than that, the Wesleys or Luther. They still read these sermons. I, I don't think my sermons will ever be read. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too proud to admit that. I think the last sermon I preach won't be anything I've said or wrote. And in fact, I don't even think it'll be a sermon that's preached with words. I think it will be a sermon preached through my life. Like I said, we, we don't have a record of a single word that Abel said, unless I overlook something there. 
not a single message or conversation, not one little pithy one-liner quote that, that, that will be remembered. He didn't have to use words for us to see the sermon in his life that cries out to have faith in God, to obey God. There's a saying, and, and it's attributed to um, St. Francis of Assisi, and there's people not even sure he really said it, but I kind of like the thought of it. He said, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Am I to preach the gospel? Yes, absolutely. Should I proclaim it with voice? Should I proclaim it with pen? Absolutely. Am I to teach the Bible? Oh, absolutely. Do I use words? Too many is probably what you think, especially on Sunday school. <laughs> but one day the words I've spoken will be forgotten. One day, I like the, I like the words of the, there's a fountain filled with blood. This poor lisping, stammering tongue will lie silent in the grave. But a sermon will still be preached. The sermon of my life. Each of us is preaching a sermon. Each of us, in a macabre sense, I apologize, but uh, each of us are preaching our own funerals in our lives. What am I preaching with my life? What, what is the truth I, I am illustrating? What are you preaching with yours? Is the sermon of our life one that points others to Christ? Is it one that proves our faith in God where they don't have to look back and wonder and say, my, was that person really a Christian? Is it one that just serves as a warning to others? I kind of teased this in Sunday school, but I guess I was, I was about 12, 13 when Mickey Mantle died. And I, I'm a baseball nerd. Y'all know that. I like baseball. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I hope Aaron Judge gets 61 or 62. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with that a little bit. But I like to read stories about the old baseball players and stuff. And I remember when Mickey Mantle died. Had a lot of news coverage around here because he was in the hospital around here, and I remember a nightly news. It seemed like they were giving some updates on him. He had been the idol of America's youth back in the '50s and '60s. He was one of, if not the most talented baseball player of all time. Yet off the field, he was a notorious drunk. He was a notorious womanizer. He finally gave up alcohol in 1994. He checked himself into the Betty Ford Clinic and tried to get his life straightened out a little bit. But the damage had already been done. The next year, 95, he was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver and some other things, including inoperable liver cancer. In June of 1995, and this is where I remember all the news stories from, he had a liver transplant, June 1995. In July, they found the cancer had spread throughout his body, and he passed away on August 13, 1995. At a press conference, and I'm pretty sure I found this quote, and I think this is the one I remember seeing. They had his doctors, and uh, they were asking questions about him and about his treatment, and he was there. And I remember... You know, that once guy used to be a physical specimen. I mean, he's weak. He's, he, 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 you know, he's lost a lot of weight. He just looks sickly. 
in that press conference, I think it was in June or July of 95, one of the reporters asked him about being a role model. And this is the quote he said. This is a role model. Don't be like me. And like I said, I can still see that weak, sick man. Tears in his eyes. Begging. So kids, don't live like I have lived. Kids, don't do what I have done. Bob Costas said to him, the, the, you know, the sportscaster, he said, in the last year of his life, Mickey Mantle, always so hard on himself, finally came to accept and appreciate the distinction between a role model and a hero. The first, he often was not. The second, he always will be, and in the end, people got it. His life preached a sermon. Don't be like me. He being dead, yet speaketh. I will say the one ray of light in that story is that his former teammate Bobby Richardson, who became a preacher, in fact, spoke at Billy Graham Crusade. I wasn't as familiar with that. I somehow missed that story. In fact, I think I've got a book on that, that uh, in those books that Ray Kopp gave me. But anyway, Bobby Richardson that was able to lead him to the Lord. And so I, I, I believe he did get saved from what his own testimony and things there in those final days of his life. But his sermon of his life was, Don't be like me. Now I want to close with the tale of one more person's life. I want to go back to colonial America. I didn't know we're going to have missionaries here, but I know this name won't be familiar to them. There's a young man named David Brainerd. Born in 1712, saved in 1739, wanted to be a preacher. Went to Yale. And by the way, back then, Yale was basically a Bible college. They taught preachers back then. Hard to believe now, but it was the case back then. He struggled with health all his life. He had tuberculosis, and he ended up having to leave school briefly. He went back and the Great Awakening was really in its hottest times right there. and Spiritual zeal just sweeping the nation and it swept up David Brainerd. Back to the point, he, he was vocally critical of some of the staff and students for not living as Christians to the point that they expelled him from Yale. And uh, by the way, in part, that's why Princeton and Dartmouth were both founded was in reaction to that. They said, we need a better place to train our preachers. And at least two colleges were founded in part because of that. It's a, and both of those I would not send a preacher boy to nowadays, I'll tell you that, any of those three. He was licensed to preach in 1742 and the following year began work among the Mohican and Delaware Indians. Already in poor health, he literally worked himself to death for the sake of the gospel. By the end of 1746, ministry lasting just three or four years there among the Indians, he was too ill to continue working. Stayed at one place for a while with one family, and famously, that last year of his life, most of it was spent in the home of Jonathan Edwards, the famous preacher, Sinners in the Hands of Angry God. And there he died from tuberculosis, October 9th, 1747, at the age of 29. But 
that's not the end of his story. His life made an impact. His story made an impact. In 1746, before he died, they, they took his personal journal and they published his personal journal. You can still find copies of it today. Jonathan Edwards, in 1749, even wrote a short biography of uh, David Brainerd, still available. There, and many other books have been produced on the life of David Brainerd. All this had tremendous impact. Numerous other works, like I say, produced. Numerous missionaries have counted Brainerd as an influence on their lives and ministries. William Carey, the father of modern world missions, left England, went to India. He said he was influenced by the life of Brainerd. Adoniram Judson, the first great American missionary, went over to Burma, said he was influenced by the life of Brainerd. So, well, that's old time. You ever heard of Jim Elliott? Jim and Elizabeth Elliott. Jim Elliott said one of the impacts on his life was the life of David Brainerd. That one life that burned so brightly, but oh so briefly, helped light the flames of missionary works that have since covered the globe. He being dead, yet speaketh. The sermon of his life, maybe it could be summed up in this quote by him. I have received my all from God. Oh, that I could return my all to God. What sermon are you preaching with your life today? What will be the impact of your time on earth? Will it be a memorial to self? Will it be a memorial to sin? Or will it be a monument to God's grace? I would challenge each of us, we need to preach the sermon of our life well now. Don't say, I'll get it straight one day, I'll get it all figured out. Better be preaching it now. Don't wait till the last minute. I think it was D.L. Moody, I think it was, that said that um, a deathbed conversion was the same as burning your candle uh, for, the, uh, for the glory of Satan than blowing the smoke in God's face. I think that's the way the quote went. But preach the sermon well now. With the words we speak, with the actions of our hands, the actions of our feet, preach the sermon of our life well now. So musicians come. Make sure your sermon points others to follow you in accepting Christ. You know, you read the rest of the story on Mickey Mantle. His, his boys, they turned out about the same as their dad. A lot of them had health issues. A lot of it related to alcoholism. They followed in the footsteps of their dad. I would hope that the path that I chart inspires my family, my kids, my grandkids, the great-grandkids on down the line. You know, who am I? I, in a lot of ways, I'm a result of my forefathers. I think of W.A. Souther. Never met the man. He was a landmark Baptist preacher. Pastored over in Sanger. We've got, I've got a couple of his little books that they gave me. and Grandma's got a Bible. We've got a few pictures and stuff. But he started something in that family that kind of carried on down. They didn't want to go to those bored Baptist churches, did they? No. They didn't want to go to those bored Baptist churches. I think of 
I think of Pop. I think of Bill Gage. I mean, for years and years, what, well, over 40 years was it? Was a deacon over at the old fundamental? You know, some people put down some stakes and their lives influenced them being dead yet speaketh. Helped guide me into what I am now. I think of that and I hope that my life will be the same for those that come after me. The most important thing is to make sure that we have accepted Christ. When it all comes down to the end, it doesn't matter. It's like, boy, he had a lot of money. Well, that's good. The kids can fight over it. He had a big house. That house will fall apart, burn down, be tore down. The kids will sell it and move somewhere else. Well, he had a huge collection of baseball cards or coins or something. Well, grandkids will sell that and go buy their own toys. All these things we get so caught up and we think are our life. And we preach a sermon saying this is what is important. All that fades. See, when it comes down to it, think at the end, you realize how important your family is. And I'm going to tell you, you realize how important faith is. And it all boils down to it, do you have faith in Christ? That's the one question. Not were you famous, not where were you well known, not were you rich, or was your life happy? I was, by the way, one of the little phrases that bothers me is, oh, he died doing what he loved. Well, he's still dead. You ever think about that? They're still dead. I mean, it doesn't matter if they, anyway. didn't really affect things. But the one question that's really important, do you know Christ? I trust that you know Him this morning. Put that down. Let that be part of that sermon that you preach. That your kids, your grandkids, your cousins, your family. 50 years from now when somebody gets to digging up your name for a, for a, family, uh, you know, a family tree project at school, they come across you, they'll say, hey, that person was a Christian. Closing statement right here. When I was, um, I was probably about Jenna's age, I guess, but I remember doing a, a, a genealogy project for school. And I don't know why, this made such an impact on my brain back then. And I had to do a family tree thing. Well, I cheated because Lori had just done one for school. She probably doesn't even remember this. She had just done one. And so I went over to Grandma's house, and she already had this that Lori had put together so I could copy her work. It worked out really well for me. But as we were talking about these people, I had to put, like, you know, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and I, I don't remember how, many, how far up we had to go. She had no clue. You don't remember helping me out in school, do you? But I remember this going back up to a certain point, and there was a great-great-grandmother. I don't remember which one it was. But the only thing we could remember about her, and I, I don't think even like, I don't think Grandma and Grandpa even really knew her, but they said she loved to sew. And that was all that was remembered. She loved to sew. The sermon she preached with her life was she loved to sew. I, I, I hope and pray we can do a little more for the sermon we preach. The last sermon we preach, I don't think it'll be the words we say. It's going to be the life that we live. And when we're dead, we're still going to be speaking. If you'll stand, please, we'll have a time of invitation. What number there, Olin? 85. Number 85 in the Heavenly Highways for invitation song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a different sort of message.
to deliver this morning. Lord, what a challenge it is. Go so much beyond our words, but the, the actions, our life. It's not just the faith, but the, the works that it produces. When it's all said and done, our actions speak so much louder than our words. Lord, even after our voices are silent, even after anything we would have written, recorded, be long forgotten, Lord, that the sermon that we have preached with our life still ring true to point others in the way that they should live. Point them to the cross. Point them to faithfulness. To point them in the way of living the Christian life successfully and triumphantly. Lord, challenge our hearts with this. And I do pray. I know we got regular church folks. we got missionaries here. Folks that you would think would know the Gospel. Well, Lord, if anybody here doesn't know that they would get that settled today, somebody watching online just stumbling across this, that they would contact us. Let's get that settled today to know for sure the heavens are home. Challenge our hearts, I pray, with this simple thought, this simple sermon. I pray us all in the holy name. Amen.